2: and how that will affect your brand. You need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast now.
1: This is Internet Marketing.
0: Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt. And today with me, I have Fintan Costello, Managing Director at Bonus Finder. Fintan's joining us from Amsterdam today. How are you, Fintan? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, no problem at all. I'm uh, really excited today to be talking about lessons in marketing from the gambling sector. We've just been having a a little bit of a chat before we started recording about is, is the word gambling a taboo word? Fintan's really comfortable with it. It is what it is, but I think that alone is fascinating and probably something we're going to touch on this in this episode. Uh, before we get into detail about the marketing lessons from the gambling sector, Fintan, do you just want to expand and introduce um, yourself to our audience a little bit about your history, what you do at Bonus Finder? Yeah, absolutely. So,
3: I've been, I I kind of accidentally stumbled into the gambling industry many years ago by completely by mistake. I'm a, I'm a gambling or sorry, I'm a, a marketing nerd at heart. And I really fancied a challenge and the gambling sector is probably one of the hardest digital marketing verticals, um, out there. Obviously, as you can tell by the accent, even though I'm in Amsterdam, I'm, I'm Irish by, by grace of God and the guys at Paddy Power. Back in the day, when when I stumbled into the into the industry, we're doing some fantastic stuff out of Dublin, and really wanted to go conquer the the UK market, which was very exciting for me. So I joined Paddy Power, and I helped set up their online marketing department, um, which is now a you know it was a, back then it was like four people, and now it's really four hundred people. Um, so it's amazing to kind of see the what they've done since. Um, so that was a fantastic introduction um, into the world of gambling from there i moved to poker stars um, i actually ended up living in the isle of man for a number of years which is uh quite a culture shock to say the least a beautiful place but my god it's a bad weather it's um it, of, of all the tax havens it's you know it doesn't have the, the the weather of gibraltar or malta and it doesn't have the food options that, that malta has either so i've i definitely picked the wrong tax haven um, but the great thing about poker stars is that, again very similar to paddy power was relentless focus on the customer relentless focus on the product and it was a it was a global brand so being able to kind of scale what i've been doing in say UK, the uk to every market and realizing and learning that oh it's it's 90% the same everywhere and basically humans are humans and it's just the a little bit of uh, local knowledge and local tweaks is is really all you need I was desperate to get out of off the rock um, and I was lucky enough to be approached by Google to come help them set up their, their, what we call the, the e-gaming team, basically the gambling team. And so Google was making a load of money from gambling advertisers in the UK uh, through AdWords and they were spending massive, massive amount of money on, on CPCs. Uh, but they'd no idea how to talk to these advertisers or how to help them or, or what to do. Um, so I joined, Google and then I helped them set up that team and just kind of working, working closely with pretty much every major, UK, every major gambling firm, uh, which was an agency as well that, that supported them. Then from there, I Bumbled around a little bit. I, I worked to set up a consultancy in Amsterdam, and we did kind of a lot of advisory and consultancy. I then bounced over to Denmark, where I was global head of marketing for Saxo Bank. So I, I dipped into the world of uh, Forex and CFD trading, um, which was very interesting. And now I'm back in Amsterdam, and I'm running BonusFinder.com, which is a pure play uh Affiliate, basically, it's an affiliate business focused on the on the gambling industry, and we're focused on the the regulated markets. So, uh, for example, the U.S. market right now is regulating on a state by state basis for, which is strange for anybody in the U.K. So, in the U.S., it's most states it's actually illegal to to bet online, but on a state by state basis, they're now passing laws to to allow that to happen but there's a very strict kind of licensing process. So we're the, we're the proud owners of, of seven US licenses. Uh, we got one actually just this week, our last one. And we're kind of slowly over the last year, we've been slowly kind of growing in the US and, and really kind of trying to make an impact,
0: impact over there. That's really interesting. We'll probably go into this um, in detail, but is, does that mean that behavior towards online betting or gambling is changing in the US more generally? It's, um, yeah, there's a couple of different things that's happening there. So,
3: so, so betting, um, in the U S is, is ingrained in the culture. So if you like, obviously the Las Vegas is the obvious example, yeah. um, land-based casinos in the U S there's, there's thousands of like, it's, it's very common and it's quite common to go to a land-based casino for a night out. So that's, so culturally gambling is actually massive in the U S in a lot of places, but then there's, what's, what's great about the U S you forget is that it's not one country. So, it's if you take New Jersey. So New Jersey as a state was one of the first states to license online gambling, and they did a really, really good job on it. But there's actually towns in the in New Jersey. So and New Jersey's got Atlantic City. So it's a Boardwalk Empire type TV show type stuff. But there's actually towns within New Jersey where it's illegal to buy alcohol. So what, what you, you can't treat the U.S. as kind of like a homogenous. It's like saying Europe that that actually yeah. doesn't mean anything um so by by and large it's culturally acceptable and completely normal but then there are definite pockets where it's absolutely not culturally acceptable or religious beliefs or history or whatever as well so it's so it's a really fascinating mark so there will be states that will never regulate online gambling because they don't allow say land-based gambling as well but the majority of states uh should do that i think if you look at the the, the u.s historically has been um there was uh, I, I won't get into the, the legalities of it but say before the the licenses were issued that they, they were serviced by a very large offshore illegal industry we're based out of places like curacao and and other kind of uh, south american jurisdictions and so there was huge huge business going through there but obviously as you pr- and that comes with its own problems in terms of responsible gambling and player protection and a lot of the things we're seeing say in the UK in the news right now. so by by legalizing and legislating, which which is always the way to do it rather than prohibiting things, um you you bring the business back on shore, you can tax it, you can put safeguards in for players, you can look out you know you can make sure there's responsible gambling and there's there's help for people with problems and and all of the all of the secondary effects that can come about uh, from this industry
0: is it is it fair to say that it makes it slightly more complicated to set up a gambling orientated business in the US then because you do have all of these localized oh, it's, it's hugely complicated in the US and, and it's yeah. deliberately so um
3: so the yeah. the, the, the land based operators are deliberately lobbying uh yeah. for it's, it's basically protectionism so for me isn't so the, the, the two examples so to, so we have a UK facing part of our website as well To become a UK gambling affiliate, it's basically just set up your website and go negotiate some deals with the operators and make sure you're complying by advertising rules and you've got the right disclaimers and terms and conditions. In the US, I've literally had to hand over every piece of document relating to my life. So just a quick rundown. Uh, Fingerprints 10 years worth of tax returns uh bank statements credit card statements university transcripts everywhere i've lived since i was 19 everywhere i've worked since i was 19 my wife's details my in-laws details my parents details um any criminal issues uh what else uh my description headshots like it's literally you you know everything about me by the time I finish one of these application processes. So from that perspective, it's it's much
0: harder. Yeah, in which case I think I owe you a bigger congratulations for your seventh license. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at filling in forms. Who, who knew? It's a hidden <laughs> yeah. talent. It's a hidden talent.
3: So it it, it is you know it, it's in one way it's it's hugely uh, it's a huge burden. But then, in another way, once you've got the license, then you know you've at least everybody knows who we're dealing with. So the, the station, the operators know who they're dealing with. We can make sure responsible actors are are acting within the within the industry and these kind of things. So it, there's while it's upfront a pain, I do actually agree with it, and I think long term we're going to see more and more countries. I think particularly in the UK, for example, we'll definitely see more and more countries introduce some sort of licensing regime for affiliates as well
0: interesting and it, you kind of see it
3: in financial services as well if you're say a an introducing broker to say a financial advisor you know you need to be registered with the fca and you, there's terms and stuff you need to follow so i think it's the, the wild west days are, are coming to an end and regulation and uh yeah regulation and kind of transparency are going to be far more normal over the next 5 to 10 years, so which is the view we've taken. So we've said we might as well just embrace the madness and just get it over with and just make it part of our business. And then then we're fine for whatever happens, for example, in, in the UK. I'm, I'm not a bit worried about licensing in the UK because I only have to do it once. I don't have to do it for London, Birmingham, and, London, and Liverpool, which is pretty much what I have to do in the US. So it, it should be significantly easier.
0: Uh, taking a step back to your, um, going back to your introduction in your, in your history, uh-huh. by the way, what a, what a, what an amazing track record, I don't know if you worked on these, actually it's a good question is, did you intentionally know back then Paddy Power, Poker Stars, because those two companies in particular weren't where they are, that they were big companies back then, but not where they are today. I see when I think of gambling, particularly gambling or betting companies in the UK, I think those are two companies that I see advertising a lot. Um, I've been a user of PokerStars. I'm not really, a, uh, I don't really bet uh, in terms of on sports. So, but I, being a marketer, I'm always interested in what Paddy Power are doing. Do so you look back on that and think, wow, what an amazing move I made? Was that intentional at the time? Because and then obviously Google on top, but um, it kind of goes without saying. Now the biggest company in the world, or one of.
3: Um, yeah, I think it, well, obviously it, it's amazing to see what's happened because you got Paddy Power, PokerStars, Betfair, SkyBet if you just look at that from a UK perspective, like that's that's a huge company under an umbrella, and then when you add in jewel for the US, yeah. it's ridiculous. And then when you add in Sportsbet in Australia, which is one of the biggest brands there as well, you've got this phenomenal group with a phenomenal set of brands. And you know, the I know a lot of the guys running the different parts of the business, and they're, they're super, super. They're, they're always the smartest guys in the room. So it's phenomenal to see what's being achieved. From my perspective there's, if I could have foreseen that, I could have made a fortune on the stock exchange um <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not that bright. I'm more just a marketing nerd but the kind of the criteria is well, I, I want to work with great companies, and you know the the what both of those companies did was their focus on the customer was phenomenal they, they never forgot the customer and they never forgot what they were about. And where you know, I think when you look at our industry, there's definitely, and you, you see headlines all the time. There's definitely a spectrum of responsibility towards customers and you know, uh, product development and innovation and things. And these guys have always been kind of at the at the top of the list. And that's where I want what I wanted to do because it's how you learn and it's how you get better. So I've I've taken phenomenal lessons from from all the companies I worked for, and it's helped me grow and improve. Uh, it's like that old say, you know, you, you're the average of the the five people you hang around with the most. And I think yeah. if I can work with great companies and and learn from great people, then it just ideally just drags me up towards a,
0: a higher average. Yeah, I was I was thinking about the breadth of your experience for these from these companies as well, because I think uh, I don't know how the terminology that you use, but in your experience today you've seen the smallest type of bets or gambles so i guess like sports gambles or betting gambles which are just you know anyone on the street can make and then you've um you've worked in or been responsible for areas of hedge funds which are the biggest gambles that you can make yeah um so that's that's such a big range in that space that you've seen it must be fascinating i am curious sorry you you can't no no go go ahead go ahead Uh, I was going to say, I am curious to know that in terms of um, your time back at Google, you touched on something really interesting as you were making your intro. Uh, You said you were essentially responsible for setting up um, that department for what was then called e-gaming. And the reason for that was because there was a disconnect between how Google's relationships with gambling companies and how they could help the most. And uh, what I am interested to know is, why did you think that that gap existed back then, and do you think it still exists now and i 'm talking in general between Google and the gambling companies, but also the wider industry because i see I see the gambling sector as this kind of bubble that everyone else is disconnected with mm. um, and I, and that 's just how I see it as a a casual observer it 's a really really good question because I think so
3: if you look at say Google or Facebook or Twitter or any of these internet giants. You know, they're they're San Francisco-based Californian companies, uh, pretty much run by hippies is probably the best way to describe it. And uh, the, the Google at the time would have been with, with Larry and Sergey. Like, they were not profit-maximizing uh, CEOs. If they were, there'd have been a banner ad on the Google homepage. Um, <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> you know, biggest real estate on the internet. So when you take somebody from California and you try and have a conversation with them about gambling, for them, it's either, well, if I want to gamble, I go to Vegas. Or I'm going to my local mafia boss to place a bet mm. in some sort of soprano-esque type setup. <laughs> when they visit London and they walk from their hotel to to the office and they pass five betting shops and buses and taxis with, you know, ads and uh, everything else that kind of goes on in kind of day-to-day London. they And then they realize, oh, culturally, it's completely different here so yeah, for yeah. for any of these companies there's the culture shock between what they're used to versus what happens in the in say the UK so i always started my presentations with a picture of the queen at ascot um, because you know the queen likes <laughs> a bit and so culturally it's 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 a top down kind of thing in in, in the UK mm. so one of the issues any of these big companies—I'm not, I can't speak on behalf of Google or any—but I'll talk in slightly general terms. One of the issues any of these companies has is the potential PR impact of a bad experience will completely outweigh any revenue they will ever make from the industry. Hmm. So. You know, there's there's probably finance and travel companies that spend more with any of these companies than the entire gambling industry combined. Just because the sheer number of people looking for, say, travel or credit cards or insurance or uh, car rental completely outweighs um, the amount of people who want to place a place a bet or, or start playing poker. So they have to strike a balance between culturally, this is acceptable and it's okay to say offer ads versus a negative pr impact of something happening in i don't know the us or, or something like that so and, and th- th- this was one of the great difficulties that the the gambling operators have when dealing with these companies um, at the end of the day they're all performance pure play performance marketing businesses so super data focused super acquisition focused but on the flip side they're not allowed play with a lot of the tools that are on offer to uh, say a cfd firm which is hilarious so mm-hmm. as a as a gambling operator you're not allowed say with google or facebook for example you're not allowed to do retargeting because that's user data and it's a policy breach and um, i don't know if the case has changed but for example the national lottery app wasn't allowed in the uk play store for a very mm-hmm. long time because it's gambling So you're not allowed in the App Store, you're not allowed to do retargeting, you're not allowed to use a lot of the, you know, you know yourself, like if you look at where Google and Facebook and stuff are going, everything's very data led and kind of audience data and and these kind of things. You you weren't allowed to play with any of those tools as a as a gambling operator. So my role was really helping people focus on the basics. So let's make sure, you know, really so if you're a PPC agency. Hiring someone from the gambling industry is probably one of the smartest things you can do because they're so good at just getting the basics right that uh, Mm. I've, in my previous roles, hiring, say, from the travel industry, uh, a PPC manager from the travel industry is used to dealing with a massive data set, massive, massive data set. And they're also used to dealing with the uh, audience data profiles and the various tools that are available. And so they can, I actually found them quite sloppy and you can be quite lazy in that scenario. From a gambling industry perspective, say for a PPC campaign, if you're dealing with a limited data set, so that might be, say, I don't know, 5,000 queries in a month for a particular search term, you could be paying 80 to 100 pounds per click. And your target CPA might be, say, 400 pounds. Then your campaign needs to be 100%. You cannot make, you know, three bad clicks and you've just blown your target. Um, so from that perspective, the real kind of focus on getting the basics really, really right and really, really dialed in and extrapolating from small data sets, um, that was kind of where I helped and tried to add some value. And then also kind of making sense of, okay, here's a, here, here's the tools available. This is what you want to achieve, and then how can we find something that's that's going to help you you hit your goals? But turning everything into very much performance marketing uh, type language and trying to minimise the jargon and the nonsense that that can typically come from a from a bad sales pitch from from one of these big companies. Because I've been on the receiving end of those as well. So I've sat there as the operator, being told to bid on um, black and gold, and I'm like, what's black and gold? And then it turned out it was this it was the soundtrack for a one of the FIFA games back in the day. But it's just like, well, one of these internal keyword tools are thrown up. So it's kind of like, well, that's just completely nonsense. And you don't understand my industry. And of course, I'm not going to bid on that. Um, So a lot of it was just applying common sense and practicality and realistically just helping the guys hit their targets. And that's all you have.
2: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar. That tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Futureproof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Futureproof, a Kantar podcast, now.
1: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK.
0: Hmm. I guess uh, there's something something really interesting that you touched on as you were talking is that because of the restrictions in advertising in that sector Mm – it must make you a really resourceful and efficient marketer over time again, like you said, if you're whether it's budget restrictions and advertising or just uh limitations or legislations in online advertising there there's so much at play and so many channels that maybe you can't access or utilize like any other industry mm. it, the The outcome has to be that you look at other areas, and I guess that's what i I was thinking as you were talking at least a decade ago when I was learning more about gambling companies, and I was I was actually more in the SEO space more than general marketing. Gambling companies were typically frowned upon because number one, there's so much competition. But then thinking it, thinking of it through your lens, um, as a someone who was responsible for marketing in some of those companies, you're limited in what you can access. And so I imagine back then there was a lot of emphasis on organic search because it was, I guess, unrestricted. And people, there was lots of competition, and so lots of people were trying to get organic traffic. And more recently, with it, it reminds me that why and how Paddy Power have done such a great job through PR. So everything, all eyeballs on their company, apart from the odd bit of television advertising, and I know they do online advertising now here in the UK, but a lot of what I know about Paddy Power and a lot of the eyeballs that they've brought to their company has been through PR so that's really fascinating for me to think about as well. What I am interested in is, so as I was kind of researching you, looking at your history, I'd seen LinkedIn, I'd saw the word gaming, I'd made the mistake of thinking this was more traditional gaming that you were involved with, in as well as gambling and for the finance industry. And we were talking uh, just before we started recording, you would say that's actually a common mistake that people make. But that led us to an interesting conversation that we, I kind of just, I kind of held the thought because I thought it would be really interesting to come on in this podcast. And that's that from my perspective, and I think from yours too. The the gaming and the gambling worlds are kind of getting to this point where they're merging, and it's more that the gaming sector is bringing in elements of the gambling sector to their world because of the ex, the explosion in things like esports. And so, just to set you off on that topic, is that something that you're seeing, and what are your thoughts and predictions on what's happening in that space?
3: Yeah, wow. So there's the, there's a few different things. So I think, yeah, there's. Let's start with esports because right? that's the easy one. So the the mistake a lot of people are making right now, particularly the gambling industry is making right now at esports, is they're calling it esports. The esports doesn't exist as a, it's like talking about Europe. Because each game is completely different. Each game's got its own audience. Each game's got its own mechanics. So it's not like saying football. Because everything's completely different. And it's going to change over time. So there's a huge push for, say, betting on esports by the gambling industry. There's a lot of startups targeting this. And there's a lot of pure play. And there's there's a lot going on in that that area. And I, I always feel like it's just tackling the wrong problem. Uh, and they're not really. I think the, the, the gambling industry as a whole is kind of not as tackling it in a way that actually makes sense to esports fans. And I, I think there's there's a whole range of issues there, and I think there's going to be a, a long time. But I, I could absolutely see game manufacturer or game providers kind of looking at okay, well actually we can make quite a lot of money on the betting side of things. And I, I would ask, I would guess that in the next few years we will see games with more because the, the games, the games within esports are designed for viewing. They're designed for an audience. They're, they're a spectator sport. You could easily see games then being designed to uh, encourage and work with gambling
2: hmm. in a
3: hand in a hand in hand nature. And I could definitely see more of that happening. But I think esports as a whole, e- betting on esports, I think is still a it's it's still early days. And I think it's going to evolve and change over time. Where as a parent. To flip this around, as a parent, where I'm really concerned is more about the apps aimed at kids and what they're doing. So, for example, I've had a recent, recent, really bad experience with um, with Lego. So, huge proponent of Lego. We've got my son's got a massive, massive Lego collection, including his very famous uh, Ultimate Collector Series uh, Millennium Falcon. Which he saved up for for ages, so he's he's a huge Lego fan, and and the Lego apps historically have been great because there's been no ads, no in-app purchases, and it's basically just you know it's a fun game. There's a good sense of humor to it, and it's a it's a safe game that you can let a kid play. Obviously, it's a massive advertorial for the the product range in the toy store. Um, but he recently downloaded. He asked me, could he download the Lego Star Wars battles, which is a new game that came out this year, and thought nothing of it it's it's lego it's star wars he's got some star lego star wars games they're they're good fun i, I enjoy playing with it as well and watching him play and then he then he wanted for the first time he asked me to could he could he buy an in-app purchase mm-hmm. we've kind of talked about in-app purchases before and how basically they're a rip-off and you probably shouldn't do it but he, he really needed it to kind of progress in the game so we kind of sat down we looked at the game and you realize what they've and I'm I'm actually stunned Lego put their name to it, is they've basically designed a slots game. Mm. So it's a, I can't remember the the technical term for it, but it's a, you've got a group of troops versus another group of, like the good side, the light side and the dark side. And then you've got to battle each other, kind of a turn-by-turn battling game. Mm -hmm. But within that, when you break down the game into its elements, there's so many. So if if you take any kind of gambling game, um, there's always the dopamine rush. So there's the there's the expectation, and then there's the payoff, um, and you get a dopamine dopamine rush. So there's the win. But when you look at the science, you also get a dopamine rush from the the, the near miss. So a near mm. miss has as much psychological impact as a as a win. And that was one of the big innovations in slot games, where if you've played a fruit machine in a pub and it looked like you can see the kind of the the I don't know, the cherry that was just one space away. Those reels are designed in a way that actually that cherry wasn't one space away. Um, but the way it's designed, it looks like it is. So it's designed to always give you the, the near miss or a high frequency of near misses because that, that works as well as the as the wind does. And when you look at the game, it, it's designed for dopamine. So mm. even just kind of starting a battle, there's, a, there's an artificial delay between... When you you know you start the battle and then the battle being your opponent being picked, so there's a randomness there that gives you a kick. There's a randomness too if you're the light side or the dark side. There's the loot boxes which have their whole own range of issues. So basically you're you're playing it. The loot boxes are basically playing a slot game, um, or Deal or No Deal or or whatever you want to call it. And then there was like just these massive in-app purchases. So why a kids game needs a two hundred pound in our purchase to buy crystals is just absolutely beyond me. But then the game's mm-hmm. designed that you have to buy these products to progress, and then you've got to come back the next day, and so the the, the whole thing is just a giant uh, Skinner box. But it's wrapped up in yeah. Lego, it's wrapped up in Star Wars, and it's completely deemed child friendly, and it was horrifying as a parent because he's at that uh, as an eight year old, you're just not designed to be able to a distinguish what's going on, and b kind of manage your so kind of the, the, your self regulation. to kind of okay. Well, this is clearly ridiculous. I'm going to stop.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that's such a interesting thing to dwell on. Because as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of so, so many examples flash through my mind. I'm a, I would say I'm a casual just general gamer, more traditional gamer so i've I've got um stadia the google console i've got nintendo switch and i play kind of modern games uh every now and then like a few times a week and i was thinking actually the biggest example that comes to mind in terms of that anticipation and the dopamine rush through whether you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve or whether you get that near miss is fifa Mm. and fifa have these ultimate team packs which I guess some are uh, most or some of our listeners will be aware of you, you buy these packs of players and you build up your team and you have, it's an in game currency where you have to buy these packs and sometimes you'll get the players that you want and you'll get these kind of rare finds and sometimes you won't. But regardless of whether you do or don't, it's that whole dopamine process um, that people are paying for. And there is that. But then I was thinking, I mean, you've just used the example of Lego, which are essentially taking these these gambling motivations or behaviors and applying it in that world to a younger demographic. But I'm I'm a Nintendo Switch user and there's a popular game called Smash Brothers, which is all of the Nintendo world characters. And you have to pay for downloadable content. So you pay like 15 pound every six months and you get a new set of players, but you don't know what those players are going to be. You don't know who those players are going to be because they don't reveal them until nearer the date it's a very similar concept you're paying for the unknown in anticipation that you're going to get players that you're excited by but you don't actually know what you're going to get and there's, there's probably hundreds of examples but the fact that we've just i've just used nintendo and you've just used lego which are these kind of traditionally younger uh, orientated companies is terrifying actually and um and i was thinking to myself that I'm i'm able to self-regulate so I made a decision very odd, like, I don't know, maybe five years ago that I was never really going to get into this whole paying for downloadable content thing. It's just not me, but I've made that conscious decision because of, I'm an age to make that this choice mm. as a kid. When you see the thing that, uh, that you want yeah. uh, to to take you that level up, you're gonna want to have it. It's impossible. It's, so we
3: we we're, yeah. we're, we're a big Nintendo Switch family. Uh, so so Mario Kart gets a gets a good uh, yep. thrashing in our house. But the Smash Brothers is a great example because again, if you take the eight year old and you know the slick marketing video that they produce, yep. it's really hard for them to say. You know, because we we bought some of these characters for Smash Brothers recently, and he's probably played with it twice, and that was it. But I think the difference between Smash Brothers and, say, the the LEGO game is that you don't need to buy the characters to have a good game experience. And you don't need to... It's not dependent upon the game, and you're not limited in how you play the game without these characters. Mm. And it doesn't speed up your progress in the game without buying this DLC as well. So I think Nintendo on the Switch have done a very good job. But if you look at Mario Kart on iOS or the, the Mario Kart app.
0: Right. yeah. That
3: is horrendous. So Mario Kart on Switch, I'm 100% fine and I'll happily play for hours with my son. I f- will not let him play Mario Kart on the on the iPad because it's again, it was designed by one of the one of the mobile gaming companies, not Nintendo, and they've just gone full in on on again the exact same game mechanics. Yeah.
0: It's horrible, horrible. Well, on, on this, um, on this whole space, there's a good transition into uh, the next topic that I wanted to talk about, which was, um, user behavior and how that's impacting marketing in the gambling world. So you just mentioned some apps there. So yeah, maybe can you elaborate on how user behavior is changing from your perspective in the gambling space? And then as we talk through that, maybe some of the marketing lessons that can be learned from that and obviously ap- applied ethically i guess is the the key thing here <laughs> no so it's that's the, yeah it's um there's so much there's obviously so much here that can be learned about psychology and about people and so much that can be useful for marketing but about i i think it's about using it for good isn't it and that's kind of transitions on from what we were just talking mm. yeah far away exactly so i'll i'll use ourselves as an example so when you
3: when you look at the research into say why people gamble and uh the the motivations around that people obviously there's always exceptions but by and large they don't expect to win it's more about the the process and it's more about the 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 the, the leisure time that they're enjoying so if you think to to put it in simple terms we've all bought lottery tickets so you've bought the you spent five pounds on the euro million you know whatever the massive it's a euro jackpot for the euro millions so it's a life-changing amount of money you'll definitely never have to work again and for the week that that lotto ticket is is active in your pocket the amount of time you will spend daydreaming about what you would do with the winnings and how much you'd give family and which where you'd move to and houses and cars and how you'd invest so the the utility you get out of that five pounds far outweighs the potential of actually winning the winning the lottery so if you take Why do people play, say, slot games like bingo or slot games, for example? It's the same thing. It's they're looking for a bit of leisure time. They're looking to kind of they've got a bit of time to kill and they're they're looking to just enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. So what we've what we're doing, and I think we're doing a pretty good job on it at at BonusFinder.com, is we've we've completely redesigned how we show people offers and brands and, and how we review the because we're a comparison site at heart, how we review the the, the, the brands and the, the gambling companies that we promote, and what we do is so particularly for a UK audience, when you see a when you see a sign up offer or a welcome offer from a gambling company, there'll be a there'll be a large headline amount, you know, so two hundred pounds, hundred pounds, whatever, and then there's tons and tons of small print. So it's kind of the the classic kind of weasel word small print where everything's hidden, and there'll be things like turnover requirements and not withdrawable, and there's lots and lots of sneaky sneaky terms and conditions. So what we've done is we've we process all of that in our backend. and then we present a user interface to the to the customer which says, look, you know, so you can select, hey, I, I've got five I've got five pounds, I, I want to deposit five pounds, that that's that's my disposable money right now, and then what we'll do is we'll scan our back end and we will find you the best possible offers that gives you the greatest utility for your five pounds so what it's doing is so for your five pounds you will get the greatest possible gameplay by taking this offer with this brand and by switching things around from that perspective for the user in terms of you know you got five pounds you got ten pounds whatever you've got we can really help them maximize their spend in a way that gives them maximum satisfaction Yes. And um, kind of meets that demand. Now, obviously, w- within the sector, there's there's always the issue. Of, so there's there's always the issue of problem gambling and, and people kind of becoming disorganised in in their behaviours and stuff. That's something we're very conscious of. Um, but as a comparison, site, there's relatively little we can do as long as we display things in a in a responsible manner. So what we've actually done is we've joined a new organization was formed last year called Responsible Affiliates in Gambling. So it's a UK-based organization, and it's got some huge, some of the biggest publicly listed affiliates in in the gambling industry. So Racing Post, Odds Checker, Better Collective. We're really, really smart companies like this. So what we're we're doing as part of that is we're committed to being socially responsible. Uh, And like I said before at the beginning, there there is no licensing regimes for affiliates in the UK. And we're advocating for a, a licensing regime in the UK. We've appointed an independent third-party experts to come in and audit our business and audit our websites and make sure we are complying by everything. And if they come up with any recommendations, we're, we're committed to implementing those recommendations. And I think trying to recognise that gambling is a it is a leisure activity for a huge amount of people, and making sure we're catering for them in a in a responsible way, and then. For the people where it does get a little bit too much, we're doing everything we can in our power to help or help protect them, and making sure that the the companies that we're working with are also committed to that. So that, and particularly in the UK, there's a very strong licensing regime for for the operators, and there's a lot more new rules, and there's a whole new gambling commission uh, or uh, gambling laws and stuff coming soon. So there's going to be a lot more restrictions and stuff in the UK to help protect players. Which I think is is super super important to really focus on it's it's the leisure it's the controllable leisure time and um, for that ten pounds here is the best possible value that you can you can get. I think uh, when we look at it on a broader perspective as an industry and you kind of touched on it before as well that the industry as a whole had to kind of look outside of maybe some of the more mainstream offerings and say in terms of say the, the google ad networks or, or these kind of things and i think as an industry as a whole the industry is incredibly good at performance marketing and really really focused on uh, acquisition marketing of, of acquiring new customers and they've been doing that for a very long time. And I think the, the difficulty they're going to face now as an industry is that socially, you know, there's a lot of backlash around, say, gambling advertising on football shirts or around football matches or this in stadium and things. And I think what we need to see within the industry is more of a brand-led approach rather than a, a saturation marketing acquisition approach. And why should I choose, say, a Paddy Power over a, over a William Hill? They're effectively offering the same product, and it becomes this. Um, h- how do you mature as an industry into a more brand-led, uh, differentiate? You know, h- how do you differentiate your product in a when everything's effectively uh, commoditized? Hmm. And I think, as an industry as a whole, that's going to um, be a big, big thing that's going to happen over there. And it it has been happening, but it 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 has to accelerate, particularly when the, 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 any new rules come into effect. And then, from a user perspective, I think it's the users themselves really thinking about taking taking advantage of the tools that are available. So within a within any operator in the UK, you can set things like deposit limits, you can set timeouts, and really kind of using the the tools available to you to put those controls in place that, that aren't available in, say, the Lego Star Wars game, where if you don't check back in tomorrow, you're gonna miss out on this loot box, which could have that crucial character you need. And putting these kind of tools and restrictions or making the most of them and not seeing it as a as a, a failure or a defeat. And it's just kind of a normal, sensible thing to do to kind of control what you're doing. And I think f- looking at that type of user behavior I think is is really important from a from a self management perspective. And then there's there's a lot of data crunching happening in the back end now to help identify players who also need that nudge, which is unusual, right? So very few companies have systems in place, or I don't think any other industry has systems in place to identify people who could be having a bad time or having a problem. And effectively, they're, they're your high spending customers and actually encouraging them to spend less and to take a time out where, you know, Amazon's never told me that I, I need to stop spending money on books. Mm. Um, so I think there, there is that, which is very unique to the industry. And then from a, from a, a, like, I'm just taking user experience in in the different aspects. When you look at kind of the front end user experience, it's really about convenience. It's really about, you know, I think that the gambling industry is excellent at at user experience and making it very clear what needs to happen next and presenting large amounts of data in a very, very usable uh, way on your mobile phone. And I think the a lot of companies could, you know, there's still, dreadful, dreadful uh, mobile experiences out there in a lot of different industries. And I think anybody who needs to present a lot of data in, a,
0: in, in an easy-to-use way should, should definitely look at, uh, at your nearest bookmaker. Uh, well, just an interesting place to start as you were talking there is it struck me that Gambling operators were one of the first. Yeah, it, it was one of the first industries that was probably mobile first, and just that alone is an interesting insight. So, but yeah. but, but not without a lot of issues. So I, yeah. I remember I've
3: I've remember discussions where the so i I remember a couple of different discussions. So the, so the retail team were terrified that the online team, the web the web team, were going to uh, decimate their business, mm-hmm. um, and then. Ironically, the web team were terrified that the mobile team were going to decimate their business. <laughs> and what you see is actually all that's happened is it's just, you know, if you present users with more choice and we, you know, and a lot of gambling firms really had that kind of siloed thinking between, and even now they're only starting to kind of fix it in a lot of places, the siloed thinking between, say, the, the retail team and the online team when realistically the the customer doesn't see you like that they see you as one brand and sometimes it's convenient to walk into the shop and place a bet and sometimes i want to do it on my laptop and sometimes i want to do it on my phone and making creating that joined up experience is super important and it's something that the you actually see that silo thinking, say, for example, in America between the, the land-based operators and their their online partners. where So every land-based, you need a, a land-based casino operator as a partner in order to launch a website. And I think only one brand actually has, say, a joined-up VIP program between your online play and your land-based play. Right. So it, it's they've embraced, like and I remember one of the biggest bingo brands in the UK for a year because everything was built in flash they didn't actually have a mobile product and they lost huge market share as everything bingo players just wanted to play on their phone it was kind of around the the candy crush kind of time and and actually that's a fun fact that candy crush actually decimated bingo for a while when it was super popular (laughs) um which i always think was hilarious Um, it's basically the same game. um so while they were the first for mobile and they're the you know there's definitely people doing voice-activated stuff, and there's lots of clever things happening. It's never without the same issues that any big company has in terms of um, being brave enough to disrupt themselves. And But the lesson I've learned is that disrupting yourself it generally just means the pie gets bigger and everything actually gets better. And don't forget the customer.
0: Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, in closing, I was going to ask you about gambling companies that you think do a particularly good job of marketing in general but maybe I'll set this context because there were two two things that you touched on as you were talking there which are fascinating to me. The first is that you were talking about market saturation and that perhaps in the future you're going to see uh, gambling operators have to spend more time on essentially brand differentiating themselves. So that was fascinating. So any examples you've got of companies that are already doing that in a really interesting way would be good. And then the second thing is um that struck me is that you were talking somewhere in there I think about brand loyalty and I don't actually know what happens in that space I the the cost of acquisition is seemingly quite high so then you want to retain that customer so I don't know actually what retention techniques are in that space so I'd be interesting in any companies and examples you've got of great customer retention techniques from gambling so
3: let's let's start with the the, the retention loyalty thing so the yeah. the, the big open secret in the industry is that the customers aren't necessarily loyal and um, your typical sports better in the uk probably has five or six accounts with with different bookies right um and the same for for the other products probably with the exception of poker just because poker stars are so good um, so what that means is you're not actually fighting for market share you're fighting for share of wallet Right. And so it's a completely different... So obviously, you, you need to get the customer onto your books. So you need to acquire them as well. So you've got their their information. But then you need to fight for, for share of a wallet. And where the industry typically goes wrong is, or where a lot of, lot of operators go wrong, is it's kind of that they'll focus on price. Because if you... It's the classic thing. If you survey a customer and say, why have you chosen to place this bet with this brand versus this brand? Or whatever the kind of variation of that question is. When you, make, when you force people to think about it, they'll go hyper-rational and they'll say, oh, they had the best odds or they had the best price. Realistically, that has no relevance or no bearing on reality. If bettors were price conscious, then the Betfair exchange would be significantly bigger than it is today because um, the Betfair exchange easily has the best odds available in the UK for any bet that you want to place. And the fact that it's not means that it's not about price. It's about something else. So, a lot of it is about um, customer experience. So, and, and again, this is transferable to like uh, anybody in e commerce or any kind of mm-hmm. customer facing business knows this. You know, how do you treat a customer when something goes wrong? So, if you look at, um, and I'll, I'll use Paddy Power. They've been doing this for years, but the kind of the, the money back specials, or the and a couple of brands do this now. The, the what they call the justice payouts. So if a referee has made a, a ridiculous decision in a game, the company will pay out as though that decision didn't happen, or the team mm-hmm. the team that lost actually won. So everybody gets paid. And a it, it's a nice bit of PR. It probably doesn't cost them that much money, but it's doing the right thing. What happens when I've got problems with my account or something went wrong? And and how like for me. If I was an operator, my customer support team would be the most important thing I'd spend money on because really looking after your customer and that kind of real personal attention is the most important thing because that's what they'll remember. That's what's going to give them the the, the customer the warm, fuzzy feeling, or it's going to help create that inertia where... They're not going to deposit money on a, on a rival and they'll just keep using your app versus their app. And I think that's super important. I think price gets overstated. Like I said, price gets overstated. So as long as you're close enough on the majority of markets and you're, you're, you're probably better on a few, that's super important. I think product gets overlooked. So if you look at Bet365, which are just a huge behemoth... Their relentless, and poker stars are the same, their relentless focus on in-play betting and delivering an amazing in-play betting experience. And um, They've just been doing it for so long and they've, they've built their whole marketing machine around this and this is what the company does best. Creates a differentiation because that consistency over time just means that, okay, I'm watching the match and I'm going to be betting on Bet365 and that just becomes a, a thing that you do. Poker stars did the same with poker back in the day how they got so big that relentless focus um mm. on how do we create the best poker experience and i think product you know if you've got a great product and i know it's, it's really easy to say in order to do it you need to gear your whole business around it and that's why it's very very difficult to do because you you know it's very tempting to chase opportunities and say oh we're going to launch you know if you're a bookie it's very oh we're going to launch casino you know, if you go to any bookmaker right now they've probably got five different casino products on their website there's one called Vegas, there'll be one called Live, there'll be one called Skill. It's ridiculous. It's a massive distraction uh, mm-hmm. for the business and has no real impact on, say, delivering a great sports experience. And I think that that's probably the big lesson of the, the winners in the gambling industry. So if you look at, say, Poker Stars, Bet365, Tombola for mm-hmm. bingo, and who for casino? Probably a, probably a Triple H. Uh, for casino or play tech they they've basically they all own their own tech so they've all built their own tech stack uh, or they own their own core product so they're not buying in a, a white label product and then they've built their business around their core product and i think that's where they've really distinguished themselves from from the competition and then that's why within each of those categories they're say the product leader
0: amazing that's some great advice and a great way to close out today's episode that's been uh, it's been fascinating talking about that and I've learned so much actually talking to you and things i hadn't thought about before and i love episodes like that where it kind of uh, the thoughts sit with me for a while and make me look at um, industries and marketing differently so thanks so much for that and um, before i let you go do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and bonus finder yeah sure so the website's bonusfinder.com um, so that's
3: pretty straightforward. Uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm Finch and Costello on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. If you want to send me a message there, Finch and Costello on LinkedIn. And yeah, I'm super easy to find on the internet.
0: Brilliant. Uh, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. And again, thanks so much for your time. That'd I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Scott. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye.
2: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Futureproof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Futureproof, a Kantar podcast now.